I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Thanks for downloading the John Kintura Show On Demand. And remember, you can always listen to my show as well as on-demand audio from Ben and Woods, Gwen and Chris, and other Intercom San Diego stations using the Radio.com app. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Will Manny Machado bounce back after a down year? Can Fernando Tatis Jr. be even better in year two? Who will be the starting catcher? Joining Ben and Woods and Gwen and Chris. Here's your host, John Cantera. Well, good afternoon and welcome to 97.3 The Fan. And then you are listening to 97.3 The Fan's Padres Roundtable presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Between now and 1 o'clock, we're going to break it down from the catcher to the first baseman, the uh, situation at second base, of course, shortstop with Fernando Tatis Jr., and, of course, uh, the great Manny Machado at third base for San Diego Padres. We've got the entire crew here today, Ben and Woods and uh, Gwen and Chris, and we're going to try to uh, come up with all the answers, solutions, Hopefully our San Diego Padres can have an opportunity to be one of the five teams in the National League to qualify for the postseason playoffs. Good afternoon, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're excited about this. And then uh, once uh, I uh, adjourn at uh, 1 o'clock, I'll take my regular show from 1 until 3, leading up to uh, the Gwen and Chris program. They'll have you for uh, four hours. And uh, then it'll be uh, Jesse Agler with the Padre Social Hour. But uh, we're going to get uh, rolling, and we're going to start off right at first base. We're going to start off with the veteran Eric Hosmer, who in his first two years here with the San Diego Padres, he's averaged 259 with a 316 on base percentage. He's a wall of 40 homers and driven in 168 uh, runs. But last year, uh, career low defensively. He committed 14 errors down there at first base. And that was a real bugaboo, and that was one of the reasons they brought in Bobby Dickerson to work with the infielders to get Eric Hosmer uh, back on the beam defensively and of course uh, he really struggled down the stretch last year hitting only 170 in the month of September and uh, you know uh, Ben Higgins this was a, a really big sign two off seasons ago for the Padres and to this point Eric Hosmer has been okay but he hasn't been what the Padres I think expected. Well coach I haven't been shy and good afternoon to you coach I haven't been shy about expressing my disappointment in Eric Hosmer. They're just not getting enough out of him at the first base position. It might be different if he was playing a you know a tougher position defensively and putting up the numbers that he does. He's certainly not a, a bad ball player, but they have to get more out of the first base position offensively, especially if he's not going to be playing gold glove defense out over there like he wasn't last year. I mean he was he was average at best, as he said. He took a step back. So I uh, I need a lot more out of Eric Hosmer. It doesn't have anything to do with the money. Yeah, he's, he's making a lot of money, but any baseball team in, in the major leagues will tell you first base has to be one of your primary offensive positions. And so far, Eric Hosmer has left me a little bit wanting in his first two seasons with the Padres. Hey, Woodsy, let me ask you this. Uh, there's been a lot of talk during this offseason. Maybe the Padres should, you know, give Eric Hosmer a day off against, you know, some tough left-handers. He's not hit left-handers well. In fact, last year he hit 231, but only one homer and 16 RBIs. Yeah, Coach, it's, it's such a good idea because they do have so much versatility now. And, you know, when did Will Myers really look the best um, in a San Diego Padres uniform? I think it was that year he was playing first base, and I think – it, it, everybody kind of scratched their heads when they went out and got Hosmer. I'm not going to come on the air today and say, oh, yeah, it was such a dumb move. I loved it at the time. I loved that Royals team for me was like 
watching them roll through the playoffs and, and play the way they did, I loved it. And I loved Hosmer, and I still love Hosmer. I just want a lot more out of him. But, Coach, you're right. He 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 can't hit lefties. He just can't do it. it it's been kind of proven over his career. He's just not the guy, and you just wonder, man, rookie manager, never managed in the big leagues before, is he going to be able to go to Eric Hosmer and say, hey, Mad Bum's on the mound, it's the first game, uh, Will Myers is going to be starting at first, Coach. I don't think so. You know, I've been talking about platooning for a while now, guys, and it actually made more sense last year. You can bring Will Myers into first base against lefties, but that leaves a hole on the right-handed bat in the outfield now. Uh, now that Hunter Renfro's gone and you don't have quite as much right-handed power in the outfield, it's it's t- – you know, Rob from Peter to, to pay, pay Paul, Paul you got it. in this situation. <laughs> uh, now, I, the one thing that I've been trying to convince Woods of, and I think he understands, like the one thing I learned in my college economics class, sunk costs. Sunk costs. You're, you're paying you're Eric paying anyway. no matter what. If he's not producing, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good to just keep throwing him out there against lefties. You need to find a better solution. Until they find one, yeah, I mean, you, you let him try to work his way through the problems, but you can't just put your head in the sand and hope that he gets better. You need to come up with a better solution, especially against left-handed pitching at first base. Tony Gwynn, Jr., Eric Hosmer has been a four-time Gold Glove winner, a career-high 14 errors a season ago. What did you see out of him at first base? I took a step back. I think he had a, a bad year defensively. It wouldn't be the first Gold Glover to have a bad year defensively. Everybody's jumping out the window now on Eric Cosmer, it seems. And right, rightfully so. He he he's got to he's got to pick up the pace offensively. Uh, but to be quite frank, last year who were you going to platoon him with? Who was swinging the bat that much better uh, against against uh, right left-handed pitching? So uh, I, I think. This year, especially because in a 60-game season, Coach, everybody's in it. And uh, because of that, yeah, this is the year where you're, those those same offensive numbers and defensive struggles uh, could cost you some at-bats and some playing time. But uh, I, I'm a believer in Eric Hosmer in terms of him being able to turn it around defensively uh, to get back to that gold-glove caliber uh, first baseman. But in a year like this, I'm, I'm not opposed to seeing him uh, platoon, but uh, I, I believe ultimately that signing also led to Manny Machado then coming here. Uh, there's a lot of other dominoes that fell. I think kind of woke people up around at least players around the the, the 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 league that hey, the Padres are no longer a team that is looking to only get guys who are willing to take discounts. They're willing to pay, and I think that opened up the door for a guy like Manny Machado. So uh, in that terms, I think it's been a great signing, but. He certainly is going to have to, to, to be to be a, the player that uh, I think the Padres were looking to sign when he was with Kansas City. He's got to, he's got to have that kind of year this year. Chris Ello, I look at uh, Eric Hosmer a year ago, and, and we don't want to pile on. We know he's a good guy, and he works hard, and he shows up and plays in just about each and every game. But, you know, you're going to be playing 40 games against the National League West, and I went back last night and looked at all of his averages against the teams in the National League West. Last year, 68 at-bats, a 190 average against the Arizona Diamondbacks. 75 at-bats against the Colorado Rockies, he hit a buck 87. Against the San Francisco Giants, 65 at-bats, he hit 215. And the one team he did a pretty good job against in 71 at-bats was the Los Angeles Dodgers, where he hit 282. But, boy, you need better production out of Eric Hosmer against the National League West this year if you hope to be a playoff team. All right, that's it. That's enough. Fire Cosmer for all-star first base. You guys are just destroying this guy, uh, and I can totally understand it. I mean, he was frustrating last year statistically, but Eric Cosmer actually is the perfect kind of guy that can lead the Padres to where they want to go this year. Uh, I think in a short 60-game sprint, I think he lays it all out on the table. I think Eric Cosmer, part of it was sharing the leadership role with – Machado, the year before, he was pretty much the only leader, the the only veteran that this team had. I, I think that that was something uh, not necessarily unfamiliar with him to him, but just something that added a little pressure to him. I think this year everybody leaves Eric Hosmer alone, and Eric Hosmer shows up a little bit closer to the Kansas City Royals Eric Hosmer that we've seen, who was an all-star player and certainly is capable of getting back to that level. Now, hitting against left-handed pitching, Last year, it was really a big-time split. But you look over his career, he's got 34 home runs against left-handed pitching. He's hit 250 as opposed to 290 against right-handed pitching. So he can get the job against done against lefties. 
I think the other thing with Eric Hosmer is I think you need to find another spot for him in the lineup. I, I think uh, the cleanup spot right there in the middle of that lineup is – I don't think he produces enough to bat cleanup, and and I think that the Padres, it's incumbent on this team, it's incumbent on somebody to take over that spot and drop Eric Hosmer into a five or six role where he can just sit back and drive in some runs that are left over out there. So, uh, look, he's not going to commit 14 more errors at first base. You don't go from four errors to 14 and then stay at 14. The chances are you come back closer to four or five like he had the year before. So I'm not worried about him defensively. Nobody works harder than Eric Hosmer. Um, And, uh, look, I mean, I could come up with all the same negative statistics that you guys can on Eric Hosmer, but – Coach said I couldn't pile on. I refuse to do so if Coach says so. Well, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, come up with negative statistics. I mean, the, the stats don't lie. thing about Eric Cosmer, the one thing that I love about him is this guy shows up and wants to play every uh, day. I mean, he played 160 uh, games a year ago. His first year here, 157 games. That last year in Kansas City, he played in 162 games. Now, Tony, I want to go back to you real quick to kind of put the uh, bow on Eric Cosmer, and I don't want this to sound like an indictment on Andy Green, because I like Andy, and I think Andy, if he gets another opportunity to manage, I think he's going to do some things maybe a little bit different than he did here in San Diego, but do you think with Jason Tingler coming in, it's going to be a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere on a daily basis. Not that guys are going to kind of do just whatever they want to do, but just a little bit more of a more relaxed atmosphere and not being so uptight down around the clubhouse and in the dugout during ball games. I do. I think it'll be, it'll be, I don't know if it relaxes the word, but it'll be a different environment than it was. It won't be as tight. Uh, that being right. said, there is a sense of urgency that, that I think, those of us who got a chance to go down to spring training, we felt it. You, you could, you could, it was, you could, t- you could almost feel it that there was a sense of urgency about this year's camp that you couldn't say in the past two years. Now, granted, in the past two years, you had signings like in the middle of camp, which kind of disrupt things and, and, and kind of change the flow of things. But this year, this team came in intact. The, the, at least the core did. And um, I think that means something. I think with, with Jace Tingler taking, taking over the helm, um, I, I think these guys have a, 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 a somewhat of a fresh start and realize the way they finished last year, uh, I think by all accounts was unacceptable. And I think guys understand that, and they're gonna, they've come into camp, went back in Camp 1.0, they came in with that, that, that urgency, and I think you start and you're hearing that that's the same thing they picked up here in spring training 2.0. Hey, if you're just uh, tuning in, you're listening to our 97.3 The Fans Padres Roundtable, presented by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer. We'll be on until 1 o'clock, and then I'll uh, get into my regular show uh, up into 3 o'clock. It'll be uh, Gwen and Chris, and they'll replay the roundtable tonight at 6 o'clock, and then tomorrow morning, uh, Ben Higgins, Steve Wood's going to get to be able to sleep in a little bit because we're going to replay it in the 5 to 6 hour tomorrow, so uh, make sure if you miss any part of this, because you got to go into a meeting, your boss is a mean guy, uh, you'll be able to catch it again tonight at 6, from 6 to 7, leading into the Padre Social Hour, and again tomorrow morning, uh, 5 to 6 uh, during the Ben and Woods uh, program. All righty, Steve Woods, Jerks and Profar, once upon a time, the number one prospect in all of Major League Baseball. He's hit uh, 20 homers each of the last couple of years. Last year's average was down, but uh, getting reunited with A.J. Preller. I think this was a brilliant uh, move during the offseason because this kid, he's had his struggles defensively throwing the baseball, but there's so much talent with this guy, and maybe he can really realize it here in San Diego being around a guy like A.J. Preller. Yeah, there's a lot of upside, and uh, coach, you know my my background. I came from Dallas, Texas, and and I heard mm-hmm. nothing but uh, Yerkes and Profar for for a long time, and I remember some trades on the table that could have landed uh, Jerks and Profar. It would have landed the Rangers quite a bounty, and they they said no, so they believed in him as a top prospect, and he hasn't, you know, like a lot of top pre- prospects do, he hasn't really reached his full potential. He's had some good good years at the big league level, and you know, it's a it's an AJ Preller move, coach. It's high upside. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see him. I know he had some issues uh, throwing the baseball. We saw a little bit of that down in spring training. We were kind of, we knew to look for it. We were told about it. We watched for it, and and yeah, we saw it. Um, 
But you know, look, that's what that's what all those coaches are for. That's what he's a he's a big league ball player. He's going to be fine. Um, I I do feel it's the it's the most up in the air spot in the infield. You know, other than the, the catching position, coach. I I just think that um, I think it's his job to lose. Now we've seen that here before. I want to see him go out and take that gig. You know, Greg Garcia is a great great backup uh, to have. Can play anywhere in the infield, but. I want Jerkson to go snatch second base and make it his, Coach. Hey, Ben, uh, it almost seemed like we are holding a tryout camp. Profar's got the job right now, but the Padres last week make a deal with the Oakland A's. They bring in Jorge Mateo, uh, a guy that can run a little bit. He's played short. He's played uh, second. Hit 19 homers in AAA. He's yet to play in the big leagues. we got Greg Garcia, who uh, last year played uh, or had a career-high 311 at-bats for the Padres. we got Ty France. we got Jay Cronenworth. I mean, uh, it's a, a log jam, so if Profar were to stumble, there are a lot of guys waiting in line to get an opportunity. You know, it wouldn't surprise me, Coach, if at the end of 60 games we find out that Greg Garcia is the guy who ends up playing second base more than anyone else. Just because we saw him last season, you know what you're getting. Pretty consistent, pretty pretty good bat, good attitude out on the field. Not that the other guys don't have a good attitude, but when it comes to Jerks and Profar, there's just part of me that, just senses that A.J. Perler just want, wants this guy to be good he so badly. Bad. From, from his days back in Texas when he was coming up and he had all the tools and maybe they're in there. Maybe the Padres coaching staff can unlock something that the Rangers were never able to, that the A's weren't really able to. And, and yeah, they will have an amazing find on their hands. But I think this is uh, A.J. Perler scouting with his heart maybe a little bit more than <laughs> – just what he's seeing on the field. Because what you've seen on the field from Jerickson Profar on the major league level since he's gotten there has been mediocre. He's, he hasn't really been a guy who's impressed. He's been, you know, a, a, just a, a guy that you can replace in there at second base by a Greg Garcia, who no one really considers more than a, an above-average utility guy. And that might be Jerickson Profar's ceiling as well. We'll see after this year, but I, I just – some part of me just thinks that A.J. Preller just wants this, maybe a little too badly, for Jerickson Profar to finally make it big on the big league level. Well, for fans that haven't followed Profar, in 2018 with Texas, of 146 games, he had 254 with 20 bombs, 77 RBIs. And last year, in his only season with the Oakland Athletics, uh, played in 139 games, 459 at-bats, and had 20 homers, 67 RBIs, but the uh, batting average dwindled down to, to 218. Uh, Chris Ello? Uh, take a look at that second base spot. Uh, your thoughts on Profar and uh, Greg Garcia, Cronenworth, Ty France, and we haven't seen Jorge Mateo other than reading the stats from AAA a year ago. Yeah, well, I'm you know I'm 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 a homer. I'm rooting for Ty France. I'm rooting for Greg Garcia. A couple of guys that uh, have San Diego ties. I, I I think every time these guys get an opportunity, they seem to produce and and, and help the ball club win. But I'm going to tell you what it's going to come down to at second base. And I think everybody's talking about Profar's hitting statistics and uh, and everything that uh, he does with the bat. Um, He's going to have to make the plays defensively. He's just absolutely going to have to be there defensively. Uh, we can't afford uh, 13 throwing errors. Uh, he made 24 errors the previous year with Oakland or with Texas, splitting time between second and shortstop. So, uh, if he makes the plays defensively, then this infield should be sound and they should be all right, and he should be able to hit enough to stay in the lineup. Now, the other thing is, is Ty France is a third baseman. Uh, I he, I'm working like the Dickens to play second base, and uh, I I think he can play second base but he doesn't have quite the depth of knowledge at that position that he does at third and uh, I think he's given it everything he possibly can Jake Cronenworth another interesting guy in this mix but he also pitches I mean I mean, we, we talked to him, Tony and I, at uh, spring training and just absolutely amazed at uh, his ability to do so many different things um, but I think the Padres need a second baseman that can be steady and make the plays they've got enough power and production potentially at first base shortstop and third base second base offensive numbers will be a bonus but the key thing is somebody who turns a double play when it's there to be turned makes all the plays picks up all the ground balls no bad throws if profar does that then he's your second baseman if not somebody else can have to step up 
Hey, uh, Tony, uh, your thoughts on Profar. You saw him in spring training. I'll tell you what, you know, this guy was highly touted. I used to get tired. I kept hearing about him, hearing about him, and he wasn't really getting it done in Texas. But then his last year he hit the 20 homers. Last year he hit the 20 homers. Average was down. But, you know, this kid's only 27 years of age. And I think getting back with a a guy in in A.J. Preller, not that A.J. is going to be with him morning, noon, or night, but there's going to be a comfort level there. And I really think, there's a lot of talent that yet is uh, to be unleashed out of this guy at the big league level. No doubt about it. First, uh, Chris was, was preaching right there, man. I think in a 60-game set, <laughs> I think we, we tend to get so focused in on the offensive numbers. In a 60-game season, if you're not pitching the ball and you're not catching the ball, you, you will lose. You will give away more games than you will win. And I think that second-base spot, infield-wise, second and short, really, because Fernando struggled defensively over there, too, for all those special plays he made. This team is going to have to catch the ball. So uh, defense should be at a premium. That being said, uh, I'm with you guys on Jerickson Prover. I played against him a lot coming up, and um, he just never really seemed to quite get over the hump and be the the prospect that everybody was talking about. That being said, it's amazing uh, for players when you when you know that somebody believes in you. And, and Ben mentioned – uh, AJ really wanting this work out. He knows that too, and, and he's going to try to put his best foot forward. I think ultimately this position boils down to the odd hand. Who's catching it? Who's who's coming up with some timely hits? Mind you, on the Zoom call we had uh, with Jace Tingler two days ago, he left the door open because there was a question um, uh, asked about that position and, and what they were going to do. It they got a they got a spot or two open still. Um, there seemed to be a door open. I, I'm forgetting who the Padres signed. Uh, they didn't bring back the second baseman. They had recently Brian signed. Dozier. Brian Dozier. He kind of left the door open for Brian Dozier uh, if that spot is is still needed to be filled. But I think at the time they're gonna for this time being they like what they have. They want to see what they have. And as we get closer, maybe they they use that spot for a guy like Brian Dozier. Hey uh, Ben, you had a follow up. Well, what Tony said just kind of struck with me about the guy who's got the hot hand is going to be out there in a 60-game season. When it comes to power, you mentioned Profar, 20 home runs the last couple of seasons, but we all know home runs tend to come in bunches uh, for guys. They get hot, you know, for a couple of weeks. They may have five or six, and then, you know, for the next month they only hit one, and then they get hot again. In a short season, that's going to be accentuated. 20 home runs over 60 games is only about eight home runs. So is he going to have a really hot streak where he hits, you know, eight to ten in a month and and all of a sudden those numbers look great or is he only just gonna hit one or two you have to ride the hot hand i think more than you even would over 162 games because you got to take advantage when a guy is ripping it he's gonna have to be in the lineup more so we can't just plug a guy in and say hey you're our guy if you're not hot you got to take him out and give someone else an opportunity to do so in a short season uh tony you got a little follow-up on that as well yeah, no, Ben's exactly right, and and that's why the defensive portion it will be so important because defense doesn't generally slump, right? So if if guys are be able to make the plays, they're 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 keeping the the Padres in games, that's going to be a premium because as Ben said, homers do come in bunches in in a sixty game season. It's going to look a lot different than maybe one hundred sixty two, where a guy can get on a two three week stretch where he's just going bomb after bomb after bomb. That's going to look different in a 60-game set. So the pitching and defense will be at its premium, and that allows Jace to go with a hot hand most of the time. You know, gentlemen, I think we all agree that Greg Garcia is on this ball club. I think Ty yeah. France is probably on this ball club uh, with uh, going with uh, 30 ball players. We'll see. After the two weeks, they cut it down to 28. In the end of the month, they'll cut it down to 26. But I want to talk a little bit about Jay Cronenworth, and I want to get uh, Woodsy's thoughts. You take a look, Steve. Last season at Durham, 94 games, he had 334, 10 homers, 45 RBIs, and we've heard about him being a pitcher. Well, he hadn't pitched a lot. I mean, he hadn't actually had pitched since 2015, uh, his junior year at Michigan, until last year. He pitched in seven games, six starts. He was kind of that opener. Pitched seven in the third, gave up four hits, two runs, none of them earned. Had eight walks and nine strikeouts. I wonder if the Padres are even really toying with that idea to use him on the mound, even though that's one of the, the big selling points when he came over here during the winter. And we heard a lot about him, Coach, uh, at spring training. As he just, you just kept hearing his name. You know, we were there a week or so, and I just felt like we heard his name every day. We saw him play a little bit, um, and he just, he's got that. 
he's he's got a good glove from what I understand too, and 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 can swing it, and and but the the power arm, it's just throw that to the list of of all the other power arms in that bullpen. I don't know, um, I don't know how they use stuff like this, coach. I really don't. It's it's so rare uh, in the big leagues these days where. I know it's more common than it has been before, but it just feels like um, it feels like you know he's obviously not going to be a Shohei Otani or anything like that. But I mean, it, it, it's just more tools in the belt for Jace Tingler, more tools for uh, AJ Preller. Um, I, obviously, you don't want to see him playing shortstop or second base probably very much right now. I would imagine at this young part of his career. But I mean, if he's valuable, he's valuable. If he can sling it, then he can sling it. But I. I just don't know what you do. They have they have so many arms down there that can bring it. Um, I don't know what the best spot for Jake Cronenworth is, Coach. Uh, Chris Ello, Jorge Mateo, when he came over, he's out of options, so the Padres have to keep him. You think that could force Cronenworth off the roster for opening day? It could. I mean, it's a, it's a numbers game, uh, and obviously the extra the extra spots on the roster are going to work in Cronenworth's favor, but uh, I, I don't see Cronenworth doing a whole lot of pitching. I mean, even though he can pitch, I mean, we've already we talked about it last week. We couldn't even get through the starting rotation in an hour because we had so many possible guys that can pitch, and I think the Padres have plenty of guys that can throw. Uh, Jake Cronenworth would be another one, but I, I don't know that that's where they need him. I, I think what they would need is for him to come in and play a, just a brilliant second base. And, and again, I'm going to go back to defensively uh, with him, and I'm going to go defensively with Mateo. I'm going to go defensively with Profar and Garcia. Yeah, uh, you give me the guy that's making the plays at second base. That's the guy I'm going to want in the lineup over there. And uh, you know, Cronenworth's had some pretty decent numbers in the minor leagues, and uh, he's obviously capable. So uh, we'll see who ends up playing second base. But I think it's going. I think you could end up having four or five different guys the first couple of weeks, and then you try to settle in on somebody. Hey Ben, uh, give me your thoughts on Cronenworth. What you saw during the spring? You know, I actually kind of disagree respectfully with Chris, who said the extra roster spots is going to work in his favor. I think at the beginning of the season when they have 30 roster spots, it's actually going to work against Jay Cronenworth because they're almost certainly going to take probably 14 pitchers. going to be plenty of arms for the Padres. they got a deep bullpen. They don't need a, a fringe two-way player early in the season. I actually think that might keep Jay Cronenworth off the roster on opening day. Now, when they reduce that to 28 and then 26, and you all, all of a sudden you have to keep a couple of those pitchers out of the bullpen, well, then a two-way player might look a little more appealing, where, you know, if you get caught in a bind a certain day and you don't want to waste, uh, you know, one of your better bullpen arms, you know, a guy can come in and eat an inning or two uh, that, you know, plays second base the other time. But I actually think Jay Cronenworth will have a tougher time making the opening day roster because the Padres are going to have plenty of pitching to start. That's not going to be an issue, at least for the first two weeks of the season. Uh, Tony, I want to get your thoughts on Cronenworth. At least of all what I saw in the spring, defensively, this guy's pretty solid. Yeah, no, he can – just watching the way how – the fluidity in which he moves over – I saw him play short and I saw him play second and spring. And it's clear that he's an infielder. Like, he has the, those same type movements, good glove. And he and in the game that I saw, which was the first game I actually got to see him swing the bat, he looked great. He looked good at the plate. Um, how he fits into this team, I don't think anybody knows at this point, right? I think – uh, obviously, with the the craziness of how this season is set up, anything is is really possible. But you have to you have to wonder where does he fit in, right? Manny's going to play almost every day. Tatis, as long as he's healthy, he's going to play every day. Really, the only open spot is second base, and um, I, I think that's up in the air. He has a shot to make the club if he goes out and pr- impresses enough at, at at second base, but. It just seems like it's going to be an uphill battle in terms of him being on the roster to start. Now, over the course of the 60-game season, there's a great chance that we'll see him on this roster and get an opportunity to play. But it just seems like even though he's a two-way player, which you've got to kind of hold with a grain of salt the Rays had him. So, you know, they're always thinking outside the <laughs> box. We don't necessarily know if that's really what his calling was. After having a conversation with him, you know, he as you mentioned, he only pitched he pitched junior year and then he pitched last year for the first time in a while. So, uh, I, I, I'm reluctant to call him a two way player at this point. He seems like an infielder to me. 
Yeah, I would agree uh, 100%. If you're just tuning in, uh, uh, Coach Jack and Tara, along with uh, Gwen and Chris, uh, Ben and Woods, we're going to be going to uh, the top of the hour with our uh, Padres Roundtable, and again, presented by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer, and then we'll open the phone lines up at 1 o'clock, and I'll do my regular show uh, leading into Gwen and Chris coming up at 3 o'clock. They'll be with you for a full uh, four hours. Okay, gentlemen, let's uh, slot over to uh, shortstop, and I want to read these numbers, let them digest a little bit, uh, and uh, get your thoughts on our man uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. He appeared in 84 games last year. He hit 317 uh, in 334 at-bats. He struck out 110 times. A little bit high in that number. He had 13 doubles, 6 triples, 22 homers, 53 RBIs, an on-base percentage of 379. He uh, stole 16 out of 22 on the base pass, 73%. He had a 4.2 war and an OPS of 969. And Steve Woods, I'll start with you. Any Anytime I, I think of Fernando Tatis, uh, I, I just kind of giggle because this guy's really an amazing young player at only 21. He's an amazing kid, and um, he is somebody that will get you to the ballpark, and he's somebody that you will watch a game in August down, you know, out 15 games in the standings. Um, you tune in to see this kid. He is a game changer. He's a franchise changer. And um, I, it's the left side of our infield is my favorite left side of any infield in baseball, period, the end. That's, that's how I feel about uh, those two guys over there. But as, as far as Tatis goes, Coach, um, I, I want to see him see games playing the way that we know he can play. Uh, we talked a little bit about it this morning on our show. You know, look, he, he booted some balls. He threw some easy, you know, two hoppers right to him, throws it away. It happens. It happens to the absolute best of them in this game. It's so humbling. Um, we're talking a very small percentage uh, of his game that he needs to clean up to be elite, an elite, elite shortstop, an elite player, uh, leadoff, two-hole, three-hole, wherever he's going to end up in his career, Coach. He is one of my favorite baseball players I have ever seen in 44, uh, coming up on 45 years of watching the game of baseball, he is—he's electric in every way. Uh, ben Higgins, I think, and Steve brought it up. He had some throwing errors, you know, on some routine plays, and I know he had a little bit of a, a, a shoulder and finger issue at times last year. But he also was guilty at times because he's so talented. There's not a ball hit in his vicinity in his area code that he doesn't think he can make a play on. And sometimes you got to just put that ball in your pocket, toss it back to the pitcher, and play for the next batter. Young rookie yeah, at young. that. If, if you're not allowed to make those mistakes when you're a 20-year-old in Major League Baseball, I mean, what are we expecting? This guy has exceeded all expectations so far. Um, I'm certainly expecting another great season. It's It just comes down to health. If he's on the field, he's going to be fantastic. I know there's some of the sabermetricians who say there's no way he can keep up his his BABIP, you know, his batting average on balls in play was, what, over 400 last year, that that's unsustainable, that that'll come back. But I'm not so sure that, you know, he, when he puts a ball in play, the other team basically panics. Yep. I mean, once that ball is in play and it's not popped up, they know that they're going to have to make a perfect play defensively and rush it probably to get him at first base. That's going to lead to a lot of on-base opportunities, whether he's hitting the ball well or not. You know, he, the outfielders always have to be on their toes when he's on base. It helps other guys, uh, you know, at, at bat. When he's out there and distracting uh, pitchers and catchers and outfielders and infielders, um, he's just such a, a revelation and a dynamic player for the Padres. So I am really looking forward to season two of Fernando Tatis Jr. Hey, Chris Ello, uh, you were out there a lot last year. You know, you were doing the pre- and post-game, but you were out there early afternoon uh, quite a bit during the week, and you're watching him. You and Tony are sitting up there in the press box, and you watched this guy do a lot of extra work last year to have that year that he had. Unfortunately, he was only able to stay healthy for 84 games. Yeah, and he did all that work with a smile on his face, and that's one thing that's kind of missing right now because uh, the pandemic has him wearing that mask, which is a good thing for all you young people out there, all you young and old people out there. Fernando Tatis Jr. can wear a mask while he's doing his job. You can wear one doing your job, but I do miss the smile a little bit. Look, I, you brought up a, one stat there, Coach, that I thought was very interesting. 16 stolen bases out of 22 tries, 73%. 
73%, and he's still trying to figure out how to steal a base, and he's already mm-hmm. at 73%. I, I I look for that number to go up this year, around 80%, and uh, I don't know how many stolen bases that gives you in a 60-game season, but I think he can get around 15 again this year, and I think he can hit another 15 home runs this year, and I think he can do both those things. Uh, my big question with Fernando Tatis Jr. is, do you leave him in the in the, in the leadoff spot where he was successful last year, or do you drop him down in the order, especially against left-handed pitching, to try and pick up a little more production? I mean, 22 home runs, only 53 RBIs. That's not his fault. That's a matter of the fact that guys weren't on base when he was hitting all those home runs. But if you had him in the middle of the order, those 22 home runs might have produced 70, 75 RBIs. So uh, I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on this year. I don't. I don't necessarily project, and I'm not great at doing this, but I don't project Fernando Tatis Jr. as a career leadoff hitter. I project him as a middle-of-the-order guy, and uh, we'll see if any of that happens this year. Well, that was going to be my question to Tony, uh, and and I totally agree with you 100%. Tony, I would say right now, just looking at the makeup of this Padre Ball Club, it probably works best for him to be the leadoff guy, but two, three years from now, I think that's going to be a different story. Yeah, no question. I think we get outside of this year, maybe next year. Uh, Fernando Tatis, as he starts to develop and grow into his body, he won't be a leadoff guy no more. He'll be hitting right smack dab in that middle of the lineup. Offensively, man, I have zero worries about Fernando. I I really do. I mean, um, his ability at such a young age to, to recognize pitches, lay off tough pitches, make the adjustment from pitch to pitch, it's just something you don't see often for a guy his age. Uh, defensively is where I have my concerns, and it's not that I have my concerns like he can't do it. Because uh, as you mentioned, Coach, he's so athletic. He, he reminds me a lot of Ray Ordonez from the standpoint he gets to balls that a lot of guys just aren't going to get to. Therefore, he ends up putting himself in a position to have a lot more errors. But at the end of the day, 18 errors in 83 games is a boatload. And uh, – He's going to have to clean it up. And for him, believe it or not, it's about slowing things down for him. He is, as you mentioned, so athletic, gets to so many different things, and he's always kind of got that pace, that fast pace. You watch every good shortstop, it almost moves like it's in, they move like they're in slow motion. Every throw, no matter who's running, it beats you by a step. As Fernando Tatis gets older and starts to realize – uh, it starts to be smarter about some of the plays uh, defensively. This dude's got a chance to really be one of the best players in the league. My only other concern is is his health, man. He, he's he's 21 years of age. He has that invincibility invincibility cloak over himself. I I watched Bryce Harper do the same thing, and my worry is that he doesn't know how to throttle down sometimes in order to preserve his body. Because listen, at, especially when you're this young and he's still feeling into his body, the body takes it absorbs a lot each and every day. I, I go back to those, those those stress fractures he had in his back at the end of the, of the year. That is due to how hard he plays. So you want a guy like that who's that valuable to be in the lineup as much as possible. Those are my only two concerns, him needing to slow down, which I think comes with more experience, and him being healthy and staying on the field. Yeah, there's uh, certain balls that he got no. He's got to just uh, backhand and uh, toss them back to the pitcher rather than trying to make that throw and uh, trying to do a little bit too much. That's what I saw most of uh, last year from him. But again, boy, what a talented guy, and uh, we're so lucky to have him in a Padre uniform. If you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to our 97.3 The Fans Padres Roundtable presented by Bud Light Seltzer. We're breaking down the infield. And uh, let me ask you this, uh, gentlemen. Benny, I'll, I'll start with you and Steve and Chris and Tony. We'll go in that order. Give me your thoughts on the backup shortstop. Should it be Manny Machado or could it be a Jorge Mateo? Uh, what are you looking at if Tatis were to go down for an extended period of time again? I don't really want to think about that question. <laughs> Same, Coach. Come on, next question. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I guess if you press me to it, it makes more sense to, to once again have Manny Machado be the backup shortstop. And I know that that's not ideal. You'd love to just see Manny get comfortable at third all season long and not have to bounce back and forth like he did last year. But we talked about Ty France earlier. He's got a natural position at third base. He's got a good bat. You'd feel comfortable putting him there, but you couldn't put Ty France at short. Manny did a more than serviceable job when Fernando Tatis Jr. was out last year at shortstop. If you, if the question is, whether would you rather have an infield of 
Manny at third and Jake Cronenworth or Jorge Mateo at short, or would you rather have an infield with Manny at short and then like a Ty France at third base? And I think for me, that's the direction I would go. So I guess Manny has to be the backup shortstop again. Now, if it's just like one day off out of every month, then that's fine. Then you can put a different guy out there. You don't have to move Garcia Manny over out for, there. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to move Manny over for a day. But if if Fernando was going to be out two weeks, then I probably want to see Manny out there on a, on an everyday basis. Uh, Mr. Woods, yeah, I'm I'm with Benny. I I look if if we get to that point, Coach, where we have a backup shortstop for an extended period of time, I think we're probably out of the race uh, in a 60 game season. And in what what do we define now as an extended? Uh, length of time that's a week that's a week in this season that's that's a significant amount of playing time a week two weeks and uh you could really lose lose some footing if you have some at that point i uh but again you know it's just like the bullpen just like the starting rotation just like every position i think uh the padres have covered right now there is some depth there and guys that you feel absolutely comfortable with in the short term not necessarily in the long term maybe coach if he goes down early you go get Frankie Lindor, and you figure it out from there. <laughs> okay. Oh, thanks for listening. By the way. <laughs> hey, uh, what oh, did you say that for yesterday, fellow? <laughs> no, I, I talked about it during the off season when they were talking oh, yeah. about sending Tatis out to center field. I was not a fan of that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not either. But if he gets hurt, all right, well, then we'll figure it out. Yeah, well, I don't have Frankie Lindor for you, Coach, unfortunately, but I, I do have the fact <laughs> that Machado played shortstop in the World Series a couple of years ago for the Dodgers. So, I mean. You're not losing much at shortstop by putting the guy over there, and I think third base could be, you know, taken care of. You can need Profar can go over to third base, uh, Cronenworth, uh, Teo, and, and obviously I love Ty France, Garcia. So yeah, Machado's your 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 other shortstop. I don't like I don't like to ever hook him with the word backup. Tony, yeah, no, I, I think Machado's the best option to move over there because. Uh, you know you have a third baseman that can play third baseman and is is used to playing third in 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 Ty, in Ty France. Uh, should that be the case? But listen uh, again, a lot of this is going to boil down to if Tatis Jr. were to go down, when he goes down, who's swinging the bat well? Because uh, unlike in you know other seasons, you can't go back and look to see what somebody's doing in AAA. Like there there are no other games <laughs> going on. So if that's the case. Uh, you you only have what you either in your taxi squad whatever wherever their site is to get ready, and you have the guys on your roster. So it, I think it all depends on when they go down, who's swinging and who's not. Okay, I want to jump into uh, Manny Machado again. If you're just uh, tuning in, this is our 97.3 The Fans Padres Roundtable presented by Bud Light Seltzer. We're going to the top of the hour, and then I will excuse my colleagues, and we'll open up the phone lines and get your thoughts on Padre baseball for uh, 2020. Okay, Manny Machado. Most everyone, including Manny, would say he had a down year. But I want you to listen to these numbers because uh, over the years here watching third baseman in San Diego, I think he had a pretty good year. 156 games, 150 hits, a 256 average. He had 21 doubles, two triples, 32 long balls, and 85 RBIs. That sounds pretty good. Now, I want to share a couple of uh, stats that aren't so good. In August, 104 at-bats, a 221 average. September, 83 at-bats, a 193 average. And, and here's the one that I, I was a little concerned about, Steve Woods, because I'm going to come to you because I know you're the president of the Manny Machado Marching and Chowder Society. In 283 at-bats at Petco Park, he hit 15 homers and drove in 40 runs, but he hit only 219 at Petco Park last year and only had a 290 seven on base percentage at petco that that's a little troublesome for me yeah you know first year um first year big contract the whole thing um all of it you know new ballpark new teammates um essentially a new league and i know he was you know with the dodgers a little bit before but guy grew up playing in the al east and and you know is to me i again just i look at it and go i I can't believe he's here i really can't believe that he's the third baseman and coach you mentioned just the um the litany of people they've run through that position uh over the last few years and to look out there and see the slickest the slickest fielding uh third baseman that that really i want to say that i've ever seen i love nolan arenado like as much as the next guy but i just i love the way manny plays the game effortless I think Tatis can learn a lot from him. Uh, Tony was talking about slowing his game down a little bit. Manny has that down. He's got it down to to a science. Never rushes. Never looks worried. 
Um, and and I expect massive, massive things from Manny going forward. And uh, I just I love the guy unapologetically. Um, you know, he's a warrior. He's out there every single day, and the guy wants to play every single day. It's he's 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 one of the best ball players I've ever seen. Well, I don't think uh, a lot of people would disagree with you on that. He had some big years in Baltimore, and, of course, he was also in a hitter-friendly ballpark there at Canyon Yards, had to make the adjustment uh, to playing at Petco. And, uh, you know, Ben, I, I saw a picture of Manny. I saw him uh, during Fan Fest when I was down there on that Saturday, and it really looks like he's put some time in the gym and, and kind of cleaned up his body. Not that he wasn't in good shape last year, but it seems like he's added some muscle. Maybe I've spent a little too much time around Woods. <laughs> But doesn't doesn't it seem like this season is is perfectly set up for Manny Machado? He's had that introduction to the Padres year, the that chaos of being a free agent, um, you know, all those teams that were going after you, and knowing you were going to sign the biggest contract of your career. That didn't make for a very good off season for Manny last year. This year, as you said, Coach, he's just been able to focus in. He looks great. I think his you know his mind is in the right place. Plus, with just sixty games to go. And they're all going to be important. You know that Manny in September being 20 games plus out with the Padres, it didn't make for the best Manny. But every game is going to be critical this year. I I wouldn't be surprised if if you had Manny Machado in the NL MVP conversation at the end of this year. 60 games, I think, sets up really well for Manny to just go on a a nice tear like he did in uh, parts of April and May last year. And and he does that this year over 60 games. Uh, His numbers will be among the best in the league uh, in the National League offensively, and you already know what he does defensively. So I think my lead pipe cinch this year is a, a really good 60 games from Manny Machado. You know, Chris Ello, I look at Manny's numbers against left-handers last year. He really ate them up. He hit 315 against left-handers, 13 homers, 27 RBIs. Against right-handers, 239, 19 homers, 58 RBIs. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to be better in year two. I think there's too many things that are leading up uh, to have him have a second so-called down year. But, man, uh, 32 homers in what's considered a down year, that's not too bad. No, and most of the the numbers were put up in the in the first four months of the season, as you as you detailed, Coach August and September he fell off. There's really no excuse for that, uh, but there is an excuse for it. The Padres were slipping out of contention. Tatis was hurt, and Manny Machado didn't seem to have his head in the same place the last couple months of the season as he did early on. Now you're making thirty million dollars a year. Nobody wants to hear that. I mean, go. But but as Ben said, he's not going to have to. He's not going to have to sustain that for quite as long this year. Just 60-game sprint. Manny Machado puts together a big year, and the Padres are in good shape. Uh, I, I just think he had a, he hit into a lot of bad luck last year, too. Hit into a lot of double plays. He was kind of a rally killer, and that was just because he's hitting a lot of hard ground balls right at people, turning into double plays instead of first and third situations if they're not at the, at the infielder. So uh, I, I think things are going to turn a little for him. I think that'll – get that batting average up to about 270 instead of 256 this year and i i i think he's primed for a big year um you know he's got the right attitude i think he himself is a little down on how he finished up last year wants to prove that that was a that that was kind of a fluke Hey, Tony, I've always uh, done it. I, I do it with scorecards, and, you know, I'll sit up there and look at one team going against our Padres, and, you know, over the years, uh, you know, uh, how many guys are better at that position than our guys? It could be 6-3, uh, 7-2, uh, to 5-4, to four. and I also do that for positions yeah. in the division, and even though Manny, you know, had some good offensive numbers, he was probably the fourth best offensive performer at that position. In the National League West, I mean, when you throw in what Justin Turner brings to the table with the Dodgers, uh, what uh, Nolan Arenado does in Colorado, and Eduardo Escobar had a marvelous year last year with Arizona. Really, uh, the only guy that you know really slipped up was uh, a guy like uh, Evan Longoria. So, you know, I would imagine Manny probably, uh, in his own mind, is going to try to compete against those other guys in the NL West this year to show that hey, I'm still a pretty good ball player. Forget the NL West. How about both the NL and AL West? Best third basemen in all of baseball. Just think about it. Anthony Rendon over there in Anaheim now. Uh, you got Chapman in Oakland. Uh, you got uh, you got Bregman in, in Houston. So 
the whole NL AL West third base chain is as elite <laughs> as any any in the, in the, in the, in the in the world at this point. So, uh, but listen, I, I agree with Ben. I think him and I have t- Ben and Woodsy. We've both talked about this. Uh, he came over, and much like Eric Hosmer in his first year, remember, baseball players are creatures of habit. They come into spring training late. They kind of, you know, slow play it into getting ready for the season. And they both in their first season had years that they probably look back on and say, I could have I been better, right? Now you fast forward to the next season for, for a guy like Manny Machado. He is now a little more used to seeing these National League West pitchers. I know he, he spent some time uh, with the Dodgers in that last couple months of the season, but that's a different ball game, you know, because at that point you're starting to see pitchers that aren't even going to be at the big league level the following year. But nevertheless, he's, he's had a year to get accustomed to the National League, had a year to get accustomed to the division. I think offensively, man, I think, uh, as Ben said, we could very well see his name in that MVP race. Uh, I just think he's he's motivated, as Chris mentioned. He didn't like the way he finished last year. And he's got two familiar faces on the coaching staff. I can't say that that – you can't say that that won't be a big deal. Having uh, Wayne Kirby and, and, and Dickerson there, both guys he grew up with, basically, uh, and know how to push his buttons. I think he's going to have a good offensive year. I think this is going to be a great year for Manny Machado. Uh, you're listening to our 97.3 The Fans Padres Roundtable presented by Bud Light Seltzer. We're going to the top of the hour, and my uh, colleagues will uh, get on with their day. Of course, Gwen and Chris will be back at 3 o'clock, uh, 3 to 7. They're going to replay this roundtable in the 6 o'clock hour, and then tomorrow morning on the Ben and Woods show, they're going to replay the uh, roundtable in the 5 o'clock hour. So if you missed any of it, you can uh, uh, make sure you're, you're dialed into 97.3 The Fan. All right, we're going to move behind the plate. And we got Austin Hedges, we got Francisco Mejia. I would certainly think right now, uh, for what I've seen, you got to go with Francisco Mejia for a couple of reasons. Number one, he gives you more offly, but also, too, we got to find out what we really got here uh, in this ball player that they uh, traded for a couple of years ago uh, for uh, Brad Hand. And then, of course, you got uh, Austin Hedges. And uh, Ben Higgins, I'll start with you. And, uh, you know, Austin Hedges, you know, I look at his numbers last year. I mean, dismal offensively, a 176 average an on-base percentage, a 252. He was one for 23 against the Dodgers last year. And, uh, you know, let's start with Hedges, Benny, and talk about uh, – we can talk about his defense all we want, but, man, right now he needs a tennis racket to hit with. Yeah, I don't have a um, – I mean, I think I, my patience with Austin Hedges has kind of run out. You know he's going to be good defensively, and you know he's not going to hit. Um, does that kill you? If you've got a great lineup – it doesn't kill you. You can have one, you know, poor hitter in there as long as he's giving you great defense, especially behind the plate. But if other guys are struggling, then all of a sudden you're seven, eight, nine. I mean, it's it's just a it's a every third inning you're you're going down with nothing. So you can't afford more than one kind of less than average hitter in your lineup if you want to have a good offense. I think for Hedges though, the playing time is going to kind of come down to what the designated hitter situation if. If Francisco Mejia is the only one swinging a great bat, he could be the DH. Austin Hedges is behind the plate, and you get that defense in there, you still get the bat in the lineup. If someone else steps up, like a Ty France, um, like a Josh Naylor, and they're hitting the cover off the ball and they're being used as the DH, then you put in Francisco Mejia behind the plate, and you've got plenty of offense, and Austin Hedges probably sits on the bench a lot. So it's going to be dependent on whether the Padres find a good DH option uh, could determine how much playing time Austin Hedges gets. Hey, Woodsy, if the Padres are, are, are serious about being a contender, can they afford to have a so-called everyday catcher in the lineup hitting 176, no matter uh, how good a defensive catcher he is? No, you can't, Coach. And if you look, if you look at some of the um, some of the teams that have won the World Series or perennial perennial uh, playoff, got, you know, teams that make it to, into the playoffs. You know, they'll, they'll have that defensive catcher, a guy that, hey, he may run into one because Austin's got some pop in his bat, and he can run into one every now and then. I mean, Austin Hedges would be a great Astro. He'd be a great Dodger. He'd be a great Yankee. These stacked, stacked lineups where, hey, man, you hit him in the nine hole and, and go from there, and he's not going to kill you. But um, the DH, I think, is going to help the Padres this year. They do have some options. But uh, for my money, man, i got to go. I got to go with the switch hitting catcher, coach. I got to I got to develop him. He needs reps back there. I'm sure the pitchers are are more comfortable throwing to Austin Hedges than they are to Frankie Mejia, uh, and that matters. That that is a big deal. But 
for me, I, I got to go with Frankie behind the dish. Hey, Chris Ello, I was looking at uh, Austin Hedges' numbers last uh, night. Uh, against right-handers, he hit 186 last year and 242 at-bats. And I'm going, man, he had to have hit better against left-handers. But no, in 70 at-bats last year, he hit 143 against left-handed pitching and had only a 265 on on-base percentage. He only hit one home run last year against left-handed pitching, so they didn't get much from uh, behind the plate against left-handed pitching. He hit most of his home runs against right-handers. So uh, they've got to find an answer here uh, one way or the other. Um, I am not one to give up on Austin Hedges. I I think Austin Hedges is a gamer. I I heard so many stories about how many times uh, he would be staying after games and upset with himself with the way he was swinging the bat and down in the cages till midnight, one in the morning, working on his stroke. And I I just got to believe a guy like that is eventually going to break through a little bit. And I know everybody wants to see the big numbers on offense from the catching position, but what you really want to see – Uh, more than anything else, is small numbers from the pitching position. And everybody on this staff seems to love to throw to Austin Hedges. And I'll tell you one thing. If I was a pitcher and I had Austin Hedges behind to play working my game, I wouldn't care if he ever got a hit, just as long as he handled my pitching. So I I think you're going to see him a little bit more than you guys want to see him. I think he's going to have to obviously produce a little bit more than he did last year with the bat. But remember, you got the DH this year, so he can bat ninth. Uh, kind of be your pitcher hitter as it was it was last year, and, and instead of having an eight nine black hole, you have just a hole there in the nine spot, and 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 hopefully Hedges as uh, as Woodsy said runs into one once in a while, but. I, I think his value, he's hes too val And every, the framing the pitches and all of that stuff is nice and it's fun to talk about. But I just think in general, the way he handles this staff is is much too important to overlook. Well, it'll be interesting. You've got a new uh, pitching coach in Larry Rothschild. Uh, you've got a new manager. And uh, it will uh, be interesting to see uh, how that uh, situation works. Uh, Tony, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I've seen enough of Austin Hedges. I was so excited when they drafted him. I had looked at tape on him when he was playing high school baseball. There's no doubt he's a good defensive catcher. I mean, he's not Johnny Bench or Carlton Fisk or, or guys of that ilk, but he's a good, solid major league catcher. And I think he stands out now because there aren't a lot of great defensive catchers. But yeah. I think we know what he is right now uh, as a hitter. And I think you got to find out more about Mejia. I have to be honest, going into the first spring training, I was really excited about Francisco Mejia. And I know it was just spring training, but I watched almost all of his at-bats. And he just didn't look like a guy that was ready offensively. Uh, started kind of reverting back to some of the things we saw when he first arrived, going out of the zone, which is a big thing. That being said, I have no defense for Austin Hedges. It had Austin Hedges offensively. He has struggled mightily. Uh, I think some of the things that Chris spoke about might be to his detriment, right? He might care a little bit too much offensively. I, I know what that's like going in there, taking 100 more swings after the game, try to get your swing right. Swing right. Can only Sometimes it can take you backwards. And uh, maybe uh, having a new manager, fresh start, will help Austin Hedges. Um, but I, I think this is another position, once again, where the hot hand has to play. And in particularly this position, uh, when it comes to the catcher, you have to be leery on who's back there from a receiving standpoint because I, I'm a firm believer that as bad as off Austin was offensively, defensively, uh, with the young pitching staffs that he's dealt with, uh, I think he's been a big part of the reason why they've had success. Uh, that being said, in a 60-game sprint, you don't have time to develop. I, I know we want to see Mejia. So, again, it's got to be the hot hand. It's got to be the guy that's helping your team win in whatever fashion they can at that point. And I, I, I think what we'll see most likely, unless somebody all of a sudden becomes the, the offensive guy that we are, are hoping for, I think we see what we saw last year, which was with almost a split uh, down the middle in terms of it bats and how they got them. Okay, I want to go right back uh, and just give me a, a, uh, an answer here. Benny, who you have as the opening day starting catcher for the Padres? Francisco Mejia. Woodsy? Uh, well, I would pick Mejia, but it's probably going to be Austin Hedges. <laughs> Chris Ello, you going with Hedges? I would pick Hedges, but it's probably going to be Francisco Mejia. <laughs> uh, Tony? I'm going to say Austin Hedges, but it'll probably be Francisco Mejia, though. <laughs> Hey, you guys, don't quit your day jobs, okay? 
Coach, this is our day job. <laughs> this is well, what you call straddling the fence right here. That's exactly right. Yeah. These are hot these Okay, are hot I want to go back across. We've got about two minutes left, and uh, so I need uh, some uh, concise analysis out of you gentlemen. I know you guys are pros, and I know you can get it done. And, Chris L., I'm going to start with you. Do we see the youngster, the 19-year-old C.J. Abrams, up with this ball club at any point in time in the 2020 season after mm. only playing uh, minor league a rookie ball last year? Ah, uh, boy, that would really – I think it would be a long shot to make that jump from rookie all the way up to the big leagues. But uh, if ever a team had an opening for a guy like that to make a debut, uh, it would be this Padre ball club. So uh, second base is calling his name if he has a chance to, to, to shine and, and the other guys struggle and slump a little bit. He, it, It's a long shot. I'll, I'll just say that. But uh, there, there's an opening for him there if it, if it, all, if it all goes his way. Yeah, we got about 45 seconds. Tony, your thoughts on C.J. Abrams? Yeah, I think it's unlikely. But, again, in a 60-game in a sprint, you, don't, you can't account for the type of injuries that may occur. You just don't know. So he, there's a chance he could end up uh, on, this, on this roster and playing some games for the Padres, but I just think it's very unlikely. Woodsy? Yeah, give me Taylor Trammell out there, Coach, uh, uh, on the outfield. He's, I think he's got a better shot. Than C.J. Abrams, C.J. Abrams was still posting graduation pictures on Instagram at this time last year. <laughs> yeah. He's not quite ready yet. No, no. We're going. All righty, gentlemen. Well, hey, uh, great job today, and uh, we'll look forward to doing this again uh, next week. And uh, you guys have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Thanks coach. coach. You take two, coach. And you've been listening to our 97.3 The Fans Padres Roundtable, presented by Bud Light Seltzer. We'll get to the top of the hour. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. Love to hear from you. Talk Padre Baseball, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. This is the John Contreras Show right here on San Diego's number one sports station, 97.3 The Fan. Thanks for downloading the John Contreras Show on demand. And remember, you can always listen to my show as well as on-demand audio from Ben and Woods, Gwen and Chris, and other Intercom San Diego stations using the Radio.com app. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t